Artists Worldwide. Hello and welcome to another episode of Will Brothers Podcast. I'm the boy the Dandy here with you. My man Big Heath. What's cracking, brother? What's up, my brother? How are you? My G. All good, my man. You know, here we are, another beautiful day above the ground and another uh, opportunity to communicate with beautiful people and uh, share an inspirational person that uh, we are privileged to have on Gold Brothers Podcast. We're talking about none other than a brother that uh, is from the U.S., has uh, picked up his bags and moved back, repatriated to the motherland, to Africa. He's in Ghana now, brother named Voltaire Exodus, the uh, co-founder of We Up the um, uh, uh, goal-setting and incentivization application. So welcome to the show, Voltaire. Welcome. Uh, welcome, everybody. Um, it's, uh, it's good to uh, be involved in something like this. You know, it's just refreshing to see um, uh, people of the diaspora starting to think global. So I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. So, so Voltaire uh, and I linked up uh, in at a place. Uh, I guess it's called Pine Ginger. Um, yeah. that was a, a Jamaican uh, outdoor party. I uh, met him at the end of the night. We were uh, actually going to transition somewhere. I'm not sure if we ever went somewhere else that night, but um, I met him through uh, another friend of the show, uh, Morris Sinclair who is a Jamaican brother who lives in Ghana. Morris. And when he, the things that he said about Voltaire when we were first introduced, um, I believe, if I believe correctly, Voltaire, he left us for a couple hours and you and I just built it and, and we seemed like kindred spirits. So then um, only a few days later, even though it was a year of return and everybody was busy, he and I found some time during, to, during the day to have coffee and lunch and uh, chop it up. And that's when he told me about We Up. And I was, I was actually blown away because with the way he described it and where his vision is, I was thinking, I think this brother, I think I'm, I'm staring at a, a, a world changer right now. I'm looking at something that's gonna change the world. So um, We Up is something that we're gonna talk about today. And also how you go from Cali, was it Crenshaw, Compton, somewhere in South Central Los Angeles, over mm -hmm. there to uh, Ghana. That's where I want to be. Mm -hmm. Let's start let's with go. that. Let's start, let's start with, um, I know we up started before that, but why Ghana, when, how? So uh, it's, it's, it's been a long road to get to, um, to Ghana. Um, this is the 21st country I've lived in. Um, I'm originally from uh, Los Angeles, California, was born in Los Angeles, California. Um, and um, when I finished undergrad, my background is in uh, behavioral science. So uh, with a focus on uh, sociology, social engineering, human behavior at the subconscious mind level. And so, uh, that, uh, that just means on a, a straightforward level, uh, getting people to do what you want them to do. Um, and so um, what um, 
I, when I finished undergrad, I moved back to Los Angeles and a buddy of mine had a consulting firm where we were teaching businesses how to um, connect to young people. And this was uh, around um, 2008, um, two, yeah, 2008, uh, George Jr. was still in office. Um, you had the Occupy Wall Street movement. And um, what uh, happened was, you know, when you come out of undergrad, you have a lot of uh, bad habits and, you know, things like waking up late, you know, uh, eating out every day, right? And those bad habits caught up to us uh, so much so that uh, the landlord was like, hey, you got to get out. And, uh, you know, we were like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And so we went to our friends and family and asked for a bailout. Now, this is a story that leads to how I get to, to Ghana. Um, and it's a mindset shift that uh, has to happen uh, for, for uh, that happened to me and that I think can happen for others. So um, the, we pay the, uh, the landlord and I talk to my buddy and we say, I say, you know, Will, we can't get into this situation again. Um, you know, we, we have to uh, make some changes. And so I went to Office Max and uh, Office Supply Store and got a whiteboard and I came up with uh, a formula. And I remember, uh, you know, taking a little bit of my mother's wisdom. She said, when you're struggling in life, turn your life into a game. And uh, I came up with this formula that said, sacrifice equals change. What are you willing to let go of to become who you want to be? And so anything that took time, money, and energy that had nothing to do with me and my business partner's passion and purpose of what we said we wanted, to, wanted for our lives, we sacrificed it. So that meant, um, you know, selling uh, cars, taking the bus uh, everywhere uh, that we, we needed to go in L.A., uh, that meant um, not uh, functioning on a $15 a week grocery budget um, for uh, three years uh, between the two of us, so $30 a piece a week, not going out to eat, um, not going to the bar. Now, of course, we're creative in L.A. and different cities. There's always free, free drinks, free food parties everywhere. Um, and then the last thing was uh, we get let go of women for a thousand days. So anything that took time, money, and energy. And when you're, you know, going after, uh, you know, relationships or interests, that takes all three. And so we took that time, money, and energy, and we used it to finance our liberation. And so um, during that time, friends were, you know, clowning, being like, oh, you cheap, and you this, you that, and, you know, women asking, you know, are you sure you don't, you know, want to hang out, you know, and so um, had to deal with some of the, the social ridicule that, that um, goes along with that. Uh, but we began to get out of our hole. We got clients. We ended up getting a client, um, the mayor of Los Angeles, the University of Southern California, uh, brought us on as consultants, the LAPD, um, and our business uh, started to grow. 
And we would play this game where we would uh, do one task every day, what we said we would, we would, we would do. And any time we missed, uh, we would have to uh, put money in a piggy bank. And so my sister started to see uh, a change in, you know, the behavior and the success. And she was like, you know, he, he ain't asked for no money, you know, no help. And, you know, things are going all right. She was, and she walked by the whiteboard and she said, you know, you should turn this game that you're playing in, in, uh, into an app. And that's when my eyes lit up and I realized I had something very special. And during that time, Occupy Wall Street was happening. And um, I remember um, there was a key moment where me and my buddy were um, uh, grocery shopping and our budget's $30. And so the shopping cart was at $29.50 and he throws a, a bottle of ketchup in the cart. I'm like, yo, Will, what you doing? And he said, what do you mean, what am I doing? You know, and I was like, yo, that's going to put us over budget. And he was like, oh, it's just ketchup. It's just 99 cents. I said, Will, do you want ketchup or do you need ketchup? And he's like, yeah, I need ketchup for my hot dog. So we arguing in the grocery store um, <laughs> of something this trivial. Cooler heads prevail. Put the ketchup back. Later that month, we pay our rent by one dime. We had 10 cents in our account. So if we would have bought that bottle of ketchup, we would have had to go again and ask somebody for some change to pay our rent, right? When we had the ability ourselves to be disciplined. And so fast, uh, I started to see this behavioral pattern in human beings, particularly, you know, I see it in, in our people and people of African descent, but it's in everybody where we don't want to downgrade our lifestyle and upgrade our hustle. And so um, what ends up happening is people begin to become addicted to financing their own oppression mm -hmm. and going after things that don't add value to their quality of life or what they say they, they want. And so what ends up happening is um, I remember seeing uh, Occupy Wall Street and I saw a guy walk by you know, saying, you know, it's the 99% versus the 1%. And he had a Coca-Cola in his hands and he had some J's on his feet and they was fresh, right? <laughs> and I said, how can you occupy Wall Street if you're financing it every day? Like, do you think that the people that are watching you protest them and they see you in line every day when Jordans come out or they see you every day when the new iPhone comes out, how are, you, how are you protesting them? You're actually financing your, your own oppression. You're adding value to what they say that, you know, that, that they want. Or, you know, people saying Black Lives Matter and still going to football games, paying the very people that's holding the greatest spokesperson, Colin Kaepernick, down. And so it's not just black people, uh, all, all people in my research around the world that I see that um, human beings, um, they say they want something, but they pay the very thing that's hurting them. And so um, what I, I realized I had something special and I didn't want to be, um, when I 
knew I was going to build an app. I didn't want to be a traditional American and say I'm building an app for the world and I had never been anywhere. And so I said, you know what, it's time for me to leave. And so this is when uh, the scenario that happened that put a capstone on me really knowing that I had to build this app. About two months before I leave, my sister and I get a phone call that says, you know, um, you know, um, my, my sister calls me and she says, you know, someone called me and said, mom collapsed on a bus in New York. And so we fly out and uh, we find out that our mom has transitioned, she's passed. And my sister says, you know, what are we gonna do? You know, how are we gonna uh, pay for uh, these things? Um, uh, and, you know, Bearing somebody in New York isn't cheap. Um, and so um, at that moment, I realized that, you know, my journey had gone full circle about sacrifice equaling change, where I was able to reach into my savings account and pay for everything cash. And I realized I would have spent my mother's burial money on Starbucks lattes, on shit that didn't matter, on dates or whatever and i would have went to my friends and family for a bailout and i'd be on a gofundme page right when i had the responsibility within myself to be prepared for that moment and so i i, I tell that story to let you know that you know i i'm guilty and i'm still guilty i think we're all sick because it's the way that the system has socialized our behavior. And so once that happened, I laid my mom to rest. I thought it was really important for me to get experience and perspective from around the world on what was happening to other people uh, around the world and how they went after achieving their goals. So um, I took the rest of my money and um, financed uh, the research in uh, different places around the world from India to um, Venezuela to Western Europe, you know, um, and other places in Latin America, <clears throat> North America. And so um, uh, Amsterdam was my base. So I used to live in Amsterdam and I go to different places around the world. Um, but as of last year, I transferred uh, my base to Ghana uh, because I believe something special is happening uh, right now. Um, right now in Africa, uh, Africa is like Texas in 1865. Um, what uh, you, you would see back then in that time was people from all around the world, from Asia to you name it, coming to America for a gold rush, for land, for opportunity, right? Because the infrastructure hadn't been built yet. And whoever builds it, builds it gets to lay out the narr narrative for future generations. And so on the continent right now, there is 1.3 billion people. 75% of that number is under the age of 25. And they all have smartphones. So, or a lot of them, I should say, have, uh, have smartphones. So if you're in a tech space or in um, a, um, a business of the future, um, 
I think it would behoove any entrepreneur to get over here as fast as possible and um, basically build, um, build new infrastructure because all the seats aren't, aren't taken at the table. And I'd even go to say that the table isn't even built yet. And so once you are able to build the table, um, I think that, um, I think that um, you would we be in a position to have much more leverage in some of the social conversations that we're having in our time. Um, a lot of times we're asking somebody for our life to matter or we're asking somebody for a job versus if you go build the infrastructure um, and, and create the business, that is the revolution. So that's uh, the long answer to how I got to Ghana. Heavy, man. Heavy. I'm all there. Um, yeah. Wow, that, that, is a, that is definitely a lot to uh, take in, but thank you for explaining that so beautifully. I want to I understand a bit more about, um, about some difficulties uh, that you had while being a startup, because I'm, sure, uh, you know, I'm sure it wasn't a smooth uh, transition and probably still isn't, but just like in those, in those beginning stages, um, you know, what did you go through? Um, so I think that the hardest challenge is uh, twofold. Um, making sure that the right people are around you and that you make sure that you have the ability to be strong-minded but humble so being able to, to know what you, you don't know um, and, and not be afraid to humble yourself and say you don't know it and get that knowledge from other people. And so finding those people can be difficult. Um, the other one is I think what everybody knows is which is capital, right? And, but the capital component is not so much um, uh, just getting money, right? You know, um, it's, uh, so if any of you guys play bones or dominoes, uh, there's a saying, all money ain't good money, that you can actually score and domino and get money or get points on the board, but those points are the very points that make you lose the game because you don't have the ability to get all the dominoes out your hand because you were so focused on scoring. Um, and so uh, that being said, using that analogy um, with capital, um, a lot of times with uh, uh, people of African descent, we're so hungry for capital that we'll take a bad deal. And so, um, and that, that goes, to, and goes to us not knowing our worth. So that was my biggest challenge of once I became financially liter literate and, and I knew, you know, finance terms, burn rates, three-year profit and loss statements, runway, stuff like that, standard, standard uh, finance terminology, um, I started to understand that the people that were offering me money for my idea, it was just a... Um, it was a, just a glorified position for me working for them and building my idea so that they could eat off of it and they get the lion's share just because they handed me money. And so I think that that's the biggest challenge of, 
acquiring capital and acquiring capital on terms where it's equitable for the, the receiving party. That's what's up. Um, I want to know uh, a bit, a bit about, um, your relationship with your sister. Cause like, it's very, it's very interesting that like, you know, it's a bit of a family affair. Uh, whereas the inspiration behind uh, part of the We Up idea came from obviously your mother um, and, and, and her transition, uh, but also that you and your sister like united, you know, within, within, within that difficult time to like come out of it stronger together. So like, you know, what's that dynamic like? Um, I think it like any, I'm the younger sibling. So I think that the challenge is, is as my son starts to rise, um, get out the way of my shine. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the older sibling, it's hard, it's hard for them if they've been a parental figure, you know, and when you were little, little babies, you know, um, somebody changing your diapers that, you know, it's like, you know, I, I can go to the bathroom on my own now, you know? And so I think that that, that sometimes can be uh, a challenge. Uh, but on a positive note, um, you know, you can't get this thing done alone. And it's very important, um, you know, I think that I'm very grateful that our mother raised us with, you know, shared values and we both listened to her, her, her message of how uh, to do business, how to treat people, things of that nature. And Ramon and I are on the same page uh, with that. So that makes it easy um, because we all, all know no matter if arguments break, break out, we all know that we still have the same common goal and that we're trying to get to the same place. It's just, you know, the, the arguments are just a part of the process. And, and, not, and that helps not turn things into nuclear situations. That's what's up. Can you uh, talk about uh, a little more about your time in Amsterdam and how you navigated that area, um, if you made any inroads, the culture, and then how you use that as a way to get around the, the world? So um, how I got to Amsterdam, I was in India and I wrote an article for MTV about the story that I just told you. Um, And Oxford uh, asked me to come out and give a a lecture on my social theory. And someone uh, from the Amsterdam School of Creative Leadership, uh, this uh, program called Think, uh, they bring together about 60 people a year from uh, private sector, Deloitte, McKinsey, Phillips, and then they also bring together like large NGO heads or uh, entrepreneurs, and they bring them all together to make Amsterdam a smarter city, and then you work on your concept. So when I was in the UK, I got a call and they invited me to come over to Amsterdam and, you know, I saw the city and I was like, you know, yeah, I could see myself hanging out here for a while. And I accepted their offer to be in the program. And so while I was there, um, you know, it really disrupted a lot of concepts that you have about race. Um, and the, the way the game changes in different environments. I think that 
um, because Americans don't travel that much in general, and then African Americans travel even less than the average American. Um, yeah. But that's changing. That's changing. Um, I think that our notion of what the world is um, is very narrow and limited. And so when I was in Amsterdam, a lot of my concepts of, of race and how things work um, changed. And an example I'll give you is that when you're in Europe, you learn that everybody with white skin is not white um, and that they don't have white power in Europe. So somebody who's Latvian, somebody who's Polish, uh, somebody who's Eastern European, um, if I walk into the Ritz Hotel in London um, and they walk in with me, the, they're going to not be treated as good as I am. Mm -hmm. But that same person, me and that same person can fly into the United States and I could be, uh, you know, a CEO and of a you know, million dollar plus company and that uh, Latvian person, the moment they land in the U.S., is going to have hierarchy over me. So what you learn is when you move to different places in the world, the value of your person changes. Yeah. Your currency, imagine your body being a currency. And so an example of that, another example would be is in Europe, the Greeks and the Portuguese and the Spanish are perceived as lazy. But if you go to Latin America, the, the Spanish and the Portuguese are perceived as the elite class people. Um, if you go to the UK, uh, when they say an Asian male, when they say Asian, they mean Indian and Pakistani, right? In America, when we say Asian, you think that you're thinking of um, uh, uh, someone who's from Japan or China or Korea, right? So, but in the image of an Asian male, right, when they say that, it's typical, it's similar to how they would say uh, a black male, right? Um, the, the Indians are very stigmatized in the, in the UK. There's a city called uh, Bradford, where a lot of them uh, live in, in the UK. And so... In the American mindset, an Indian person is a liquor store owner or a 7-Eleven owner or an IT or a, a lawyer, right? All of these things of ownership, like nobody sees an Indian man and, you know, thanks thug or somebody that's going to rob them. But in the UK, that's what the stereotype is. And so that's what I mean by the value of your person. When, you, when that Indian person moves to America, their value changes as a human being. And so for African-Americans, that's what's very important for us to learn. Or even, I'd even go further, people of the, the transatlantic slave trade, um, the di diaspora, that when we go to Japan, when we go to uh, Australia or we go to other places, our value changes, our currency changes. People want to look, dress, talk, and walk like you. So that, that makes it easier for someone to come up to you and say, hey, where are you from? Uh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm in that business too. 
oh man, I like your style. Hey, you know, come with me to the country club. And now you're getting invited and access to high society in other countries because your currency is a better currency in other places than it is in the U.S. So that's what I learned in, in Amsterdam. Stay there. Stay there. How about Ghana? Same scenario. So Ghana is, is a little nuanced um, in a sense. So when it comes to the diaspora, um, I, I have to answer this question before I say what I'm going to say to give a, a fair context. Black people around the world make the mistake of allowing other people to educate their children, to tell them about themselves. We, we all subjugate our children to allow someone else that has a history of colonizing us to educate our children. So that the African-American, the Jamaican, the, the, the African, everybody is guilty of this, of us not building our own institutions. Now, the reason why I bring that up is that fosters a great deal of ignorance about each other, right? So um, this fosters the idea of where, you know, African-Americans are highly ignorant about Africa, where they're like, wow, they have high-rise buildings in Africa. And, you know, uh, Daryl from coming to America, like, so what, y'all be fighting lions and shit? Like, right. Ignorance like that, right? And then, and then on the other side, they've been denied the education of the diaspora, so much so that they think that I'm a white man. And, yeah. and, and that their schools never taught them about their family members that were taken away. And right. they see it as from a lens of hip hop, and if you're looking at hip hop, black people look like the richest people in the world. Right. If you're just talking about aesthetics and image, right? And so when you talk about coming here, right, for the, the diasporian that's returning, that's coming from Canada, that's coming from the US or uh, outside coming back in, we all tend to have the idea that whatever is outside of me is better than me. And so that is where we do have an element of privilege here, where when we come here, um, there is an element that we're coming on a higher, we're entering the society at a high class level. Hmm. And so th that's, that's what I, I'll say. You know, it's... Uh you took me back to uh, one night we were together with Morris uh, in uh, the Osu area. And I forget what the, I think it was called public. I, I forget what we were Republic. eating. Republic. 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 And uh, we were talking to the waitress and she said, you're white. You remember that? Yeah. You said you're white. And I had to like slide into the conversation somehow. And I said, well, what am I? She goes, you're white too. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's, um, you, the same way that somebody is ignorant on the other side of, you know, 
thinking that everybody lives in huts here. That's the same level of ignorance. And the root of that is that we are guilty of allowing our children to be educated by, by people who don't look like us. And that's a worldwide thing. And so I give this example. Could you imagine a Jewish person allowing Germans around the world to educate their children on what it is to be Jewish? Right. That's what we do to our children around the world. Mm -hmm. And that's why we, and that's why we have the, dis, the misinformation about each other because we haven't taken the time to build our own institutions to educate our children. So now me and you, when we're at a bar, we have to deal with the backlash of that, at, at, of them thinking that you know, you're white or, or I'm white. And then when an African goes over to the US, they have to deal with the backlash and the ignorance of African Americans because all of us are guilty of not building our own education systems. Yeah, very true. Um, the, uh, the, the educator, Jane Elliott, um, who said that she got inspired to do certain experiments, uh, you know, upon, upon the uh, assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, she yep. famous for doing the blue eyes, brown eyes, you know, experiment, yep. like a lot of other like racially motivated things. Um, she said that um, education is not educating our children, it's indoctrinating them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like more so like you're joining some kind of like a cult or a, or a understanding of how to think about people as opposed to just like true true knowledge, you know, because it's coming, it's coming from a place of like partisanship and biased of this is how we want you to think to operate in our society, not necessarily to operate in the world as, a, as you are culturally or even individually. Uh, how do you feel mm -hmm. about that? Um, I, I, believe, I believe that, so I'm, my background's in social engineering. I believe that you can make a human being think anything. The mind is just um, a hard drive that you upload software to. And, um, you know, I think that the institutions that are um, out there, um, not only for black people, but even for white people, that they've been lied to their whole life and they've been given a false narrative. And some of the backlash that you're seeing of white people um, getting angry or frustrated is that their identity is being chipped away because their identity was built on a lie. So any human being, if I've lied to you for 30 years, right? And you know, you've been told that your father was a great man, and then somebody comes and says, your father was a molester. How would you react? Like, that's just human. And so the backlash and the, the frustration that you're seeing on the white side is a lot of people are being disrupted because their, their narratives are being disrupted of what they've been lied to their, their whole life with their, their institutions. And so that's, um, that creates a lot, of, a lot of problems. And so right now you're seeing um, basically the outcomes of that where 
people are having to challenge their their identities and and the the reality that they the way they see the world. Yeah, and speaking yeah. of that, bringing it bringing it bringing it to like you know uh, race relations and uh, both what's going on uh, in the U.S., which um, sparked everything, as well as like this catching on globally. Um, how do you feel about certain solutions or what people think are solutions, such as buying black or supporting supporting um, just supposedly uh, community initiatives? So I think that. Um, buying black is a band-aid, right? Um, and, and what I mean by that, I'm not anti-buying black, but you have to build institutions where do you, when you go to the store and you buy tissue paper, right? Do you even think about who owns the company? Hmm. That's how good we have to become with owning infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And so where, where, where it's not, uh, where the, 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 the concern I have with buying black is it, it's a fad, right? Versus mm -hmm. a lifestyle, right? Um, so, and I think that how you engineer those outcomes when it comes to, um, uh, building infrastructure is you create tools or services that create solutions for people that they, they would just want. So for example, I'll give you an example about how you can disrupt racism through innovation, right? So take, uh, two th it's 2004, I'm in New York City and I'm trying to catch a cab, right? or I'm in DC and I'm trying to catch a cab. I'm in my suit. Y'all already know what time it is. They ain't stopping for me, right? Yeah. Right? They going right past me, right? Now, I can, I can say, you know, um, oh, you know, uh, I'm gonna protest or I'm gonna, you know, only go with the cabs that, uh, you know, in, in Baltimore, there's this thing where people go like this and it's a regular car and they, they'll pick, pick you up and, and stop, right? And those are all, in my opinion, band-aids, right? Or I could say, I'm going to create an app called Uber and it's going to be an app where anybody can get picked up from anywhere when they need a car. And... Do you see how that innovation, even though they didn't create Uber to stop racism, it shattered that element of racism where that's no longer a problem anymore. And then it also created a job for the person that's willing to pick somebody up in the hood. And so now you sit on top of that infrastructure, you own everything, you get everybody's money, and now you have the ability to hire a hundred plus thousand people. Mm. You know, uh, uh, you were making me think about McDonald's, man. I just read up on McDonald's. Uh, somebody posted it actually, and then I dug deeper into the posts. Man, they own their own cows and potatoes. Yep. Like, so when you said buy black and it's a bandaid, I was thinking you're right because if I have a black restaurant and all of you guys patronize it, 
I might still have to buy my vegetables and my meat and everything from a big white corporation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, everything I buy is going to probably be from my light fixtures and my light bulbs and everything. Everything in a restaurant is going to be basically white purchased. You're just going to buy it for me. Mm -hmm. You know, so the wholesaler is going to be white and the retailer myself will be black. And like you said, that's a facade. I think that, um, you know, I'm all for um, building, uh, building up my people, but I also am for aligning with people with shared values that, that uh, what I mean by that is that um, in any warfare, you need alliances to be able to push your, your agenda through. And the question is, is being able to find people that have shared values. Um, when it comes to our, our businesses, um, I think that it's really important to find people that have those shared values. Um, because there are some people that, you know, unfortunately, that if you lift them up, they'll actually push us back that don't have the shared values. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I think it's, it's really important that, you know, we acknowledge that the Nino Browns of the world are real, like they exist, yeah. you know, and, and unfortunately, in some ways, our culture tends to glorify that character. In a lot of ways, uh, for sure. Um, and like, you know, we're all guilty of that, like rooting for the bad guy. Um, sorry, I digress, but like, I feel like, I feel like uh, uh, you're kind of defending that point. Whereas, you know, who says what's good and what's bad? And that like kind of relates to, uh, to uh, what's going on now with like, you know, the, all these statues coming down. You know, it's like uh, pop, um, the dominant culture and the ones in power said that this should be our hero. This is who we should look up to. So us and like the minority, our anti-heroes became the drug dealers and those, those, those um, subculture, uh, uh, quote unquote, perverse kind of individuals that thumb their nose at authority and like kind of like won in a, in a certain instance, like even if they had like, you know, met their demise in the end, um, we still feel like they stood up for the little guy and came from nothing to something kind of thing. So I, mm -hmm. definitely, uh, I definitely see that in that, you know, even though we know that it's bad at the end of the day, look what we're discovering now about a lot of these uh, so-called heroes of the general public. Like they were bad in the, in like from the very beginning and we have, and we have statues of them. Yeah. I, I think that it's very, um, what's the word? Uh, Huxley and like animal farm is a book where, you know, um, the, you know, the farmer is in control. And then once you, you know, he's abusing the animals and the, you know, once they get the farmer off the, the farm from oppressing the animals, the pigs take control and then they become the farmer. And I think that that's where I try to, to push the conversation. Is this, um, it, are we are we jealous or admiring what they have or is this about liberation mm. because if you're jealous and admire of what they have you you have to do what they did to get it 
And so, so that's where I think that, you know, the, the Nino Browns of the world is that he is the same man. He is the slave master. He, he is the person that has people doing exploited labor, you know, cooking crack in their drawers, topless, you know, in the hood, right? And he is selling uh, crack to pregnant women and destroying future generations. And he doesn't care because he wants to be able to profit off. It's the same soul. It's the same spirit. And so I think that sometimes when we dress it up into somebody that looks like us and we put a little swag on it, right, we, 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 we justify, right? And I think that's human nature, right? Because at the end of the day, most human beings want to be associated with a winner, mm. right? But winning at what cost? Right. So you've been in Africa one year now. How does it feel one year on? of uh, being in the motherland, um, everything like in terms of learning curve that you've had to catch up on however quickly or slowly or things that you're still getting accustomed to. Um, just what's that been like one year in? Because we have a lot of uh, listeners that, you know, do want to make that transition and like leave the West and like, you know, to set up in Africa. Like, you know, what, what, like, what advice can you give them based on now your personal experiences one year in? Um, so... Um, I would say the advice that I, I would have is um, make sure that you build a strong network before you land. And what I mean by strong is somebody that you know on the ground that has shared values and is operating from a place of purpose, right? Um, the reason why I say that is it's very important, just like the hustle man is in Harlem, you know what I mean? Or London, the hustle man here too, you know? And so you, you have to make sure that, and this is what's I think really important in this, this transition that's coming. I think a lot of people are gonna, when these airports open up, a lot of people are either gonna come visit or come move. And so it's very important how we greet and integrate our people because first impressions are everything. And so I think that when somebody's coming in, it's very important that you align yourself with somebody that has a good track record with other people that of being trustworthy. Uh, and so that you get that person can say, oh, no, don't go there, go there, right? And that can guide you in your infancy. That's very critical because what can happen is you have people make the mistake and, and then define the whole experience like, oh, well, I, my experience in Accra was like this. Therefore, Ghana is like this. Therefore, Africa is like this. And so we can't amplify those bad experiences. And then all of a sudden people say, well, I heard that they over there, you know, doing people wrong and robbing people and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, this is, you know, a, a false narrative because it's like, it's like, are we allowed to use harsh language on this show? Or do we need well, to? Yeah, be real, be real, man. So it's like, motherfucker, they robbing you in Chicago. 
Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, and you over here stressed out about what can happen to you here. Like, I can guarantee you that this place is way peaceful, way more peaceful than the United States and, and, the, and the UK. And so that's mm -hmm. what I would advise that first step is making sure that you find somebody with integrity and that is backed by other people that say this person has integrity. So that um, basically um, uh, kind of like, a, a, you know, your exchange family, like, you mm -hmm. know, if you're a foreign exchange student, yeah. that you get a solid nuclear family and all it has to be is one or two people, right? And then you start from there. And then um, <clears throat> the, other, the other thing is, um, I would say um, it would be good to, I would say, uh, if you're wanting to take a leap, all you need is five grand, 10 grand. Um, it doesn't, you know, I think a lot of times people make it way too big in their head. You know, um, I think that if you have no children and you're single and you have five or 10 grand, you know, I think you can take a leap and, and figure it out and, and, and get connected. Um, that's what I would say to come over, come over with. Um, if you have more, that's cool. Um, also, I would say um, humble yourself and understand that sometimes electricity might go out. Um, certain things might happen that's not um, like in the US, but it's about reframing the mind that every problem you see is a business opportunity. So if it's not working or you see something that's not fixed, if everything was fixed and everything was perfect, then there would be no opportunity and this wouldn't be Texas in 1863, right? right. The, the reason why you're coming here should be what can I give or solve and create for myself? And so a lot of the challenges and the problems that exist are the reasons why you should be here is the, is the business opportunity and where the money is. Hey, that's funny. Um, there's a there's a guy on the uh, show, and uh, actually, my mom is on the show, and uh, they've heard me say that about the Middle East, about coming over here. There's teachers that come over, and they come over with their Western standards and societal norms, and I always have to, if ever I'm in a cloud, a, a crowd of people, I always say, well, what would they need us for if this if this wasn't the case, right? If it was so developed and uh, ran smoothly and everything, they wouldn't need us. I want to ask you about, uh, you shared a story with me, and for some reason I have, I have it like ingrained in my mind when I think about you and your move. Nipsey Hussle, you were down there, you were in that vicinity, you were, you, that, that was your world almost. Tell us about that time that he, he, his, he, he, his untimely demise and what you were thinking about when you were living in that space, in that area, and how that affected your move as well to Ghana. So um, I, had, I was living in Amsterdam at the time and I came back to visit. Um, we live on Rimpa and Slauson. 
um, my, my sister and I. And that's one block away from Nipsey's shop. Um, it was a Sunday. Um, and I was going to go to the Hot and Cool Cafe on Crenshaw Boulevard. Um, and I was about to step out the house. And I said, you know what? Let me send a few emails. So I fell back um, maybe an hour or so. And then I stepped back outside. Now, Nipsey, you see him around the community. He's, you know, he goes and eats at the vegan restaurants and, you know, stuff like that. He's approachable. You always, you, you always saw him. He was never Hollywood and he didn't walk around with bodyguards. Um, and so um, he didn't always walk around with bodyguards, I should say. Um, so I stepped out the house and uh, the ghetto bird was out and that's what we call a helicopter in, in Los Angeles. And, you know, I thought that, you know, it was a high speed chase or something, you know, but then there was a lot of them. And I saw other people across the street gathering, people talking. And then I walked on the block. Somebody said they shot Nipsey. And so um, I, uh, they, they said, you know, uh, he got taken in an ambulance and they said, he's gonna, he's gonna be all right. But I, I knew in my spirit, I just, I knew, I, I, I felt that he like just in my spirit, he was already gone. And um, I, um, I think that when I walked down towards uh, the block, um, you know, I, I just wanted to see if it was real and I saw the, the tape everywhere and they had the, the, the neighborhood blocked off. And, uh, you know, I was in the, the midst of, you know, um, uh, like my flight to Amsterdam was on Tuesday. And so um, it touched me. Certain things, it's weird. Um, certain things hurt me more than my own mother passing because my mom prepared me for her transition. You know, she taught me that life goes on and that, you know, if you fold up and in grief and stop working and don't add anything on, then I will be dis disrespecting her life. And that, you know, me becoming who I need to be is how I honor her. So I could process that and that's logical. It still hurts, but I can process that. Right. With Nipsey, when you found that he was meeting a guy that just got out of prison and he was giving him clothes and that someone from his own gang yeah. shot him when he was helping somebody that just got out of prison and he's a pillar of the community buying up stuff and building and creating jobs for people. Um, it hit my soul in a way where, um, you know, it, it, it 
you know, I, I can't say that I'm 100% over it, you know, just, you know, when you talk about it, because it's not so much about Nipsey, it's about acknowledging the ugliness that is inside of us. Mm -hmm. And to actually have to steer, stare in the mirror and look at that ugliness. And, you know, some people will say white man or this and that. And I'm not saying that those factors don't exist, but a black finger has to pull the trigger in order yeah. for it to happen. And that's where our responsibility lies. And when you look at our history, whether it's Malcolm X or uh, Kwame Nkrumah, Patrice Lumumba, um, you know, Marcus Garvey, if you look in the history, it is the betrayal of the self. Yeah. Always that we're willing to, uh, for nothing, destroy the progress that's happening just because we're jealous or just because, just like in Belly, where he was like, uh-uh, they riding too clean. I got to drop a dime on them. I don't like that shit. I don't like that. Yeah. Like that, that mentality, right? That, that level of, of jealousy and ugliness in the heart. Um, it, it really um, started to solidify where that's where I, I, like I said, I'm for my people, but I'm for values that mm -hmm. I, I got to work with the people that, that, are about building and that can get over their emotions or jealousy or whatever those idiosyncrasies are and focus on the goal. And um, when that, that happened, you know, I knew that um, I would never really return to the U.S. to live. Mm -hmm. um, that was, that was the, the final stake in the coffin, partly because I moved my flight um, to help community organize. Um, and there was a scenario that happened where um, I brought together different business leaders um, and people of the community, some celebrities. And uh, my background, um, I... I'm a consultant. I have the um, I have a skill set where I can come up with con very profitable concepts that can solve social problems very quickly. It's e it's easy for me. And so I came up with an idea and a concept that um, that kind of functions as a social lottery where you vote for your best black businesses by buying a ticket. And the more tickets you buy, the more you're voting for that black business. And once a, once a month, uh, the top five black businesses get distributed a grant to improve their business. And uh, we do a drawing for, as the pot gets bigger, uh, we do a drawing where from all the ticket holders where they get uh, a boatload of capital to start up a business, right? And so, it, and it was going to be integrated into an app. And the app was called I Got Five on it. And um, when we were in uh, the meeting, um, there was a certain celebrity that I, I won't name stood up and instead of supporting, said, Well, you know what? I don't got time for this. I ain't got $5. Mm -hmm. 
and walked out. Damn. And so, um, like, when I saw that, I knew that it was, it's really important to just build with people that have like minds, generate the capital, and then don't ask for consensus, just build. Mm-hmm. Where you're not asking the group, it's like, no, we're going to do this. Here's the app. We're not asking for anything. Here it is. Use it, you know, and, and you solve that way. And so for Nipsey's, you know, passing and transition, it, it really, um, it really uh, touched me because it just, it, it just was a reminder of, you know, every time we have a profit or we cry out, for somebody to come help or to lead, we destroy them. And so um, that's where I, I talk about the theory of how people will finance their own oppression, that they'll, they'll, they'll attack the very medicine that's trying to help them. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, wow. that was, that was uh, seriously heavy, appreciated. Um, just like to hear what uh, like you said, a pillar of the community, you know, meant to someone, you know, like yourself to like really like a neighbor for you. You know, like you said, like the shop was right there. Everything was like, you know, sudden like proximity. And you just walked around the neighborhood like a regular guy. Um, I, wa- I, wanted, I wanted to mention that uh, it seems like a lot of people had a uh, aha kind of a moment, like uh, in terms of leaving America. So like if they if they've made that jump, it's not necessarily just a job opportunity, but they've had like this moment of just like realization of like, nothing's going to change here or there must be something else. There must be another way. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, for me, it was like, you know, back in like 2008, uh, um, you know, whereas like the uh, second Bush, like, you know, won the election again. And I'm like, but wait, like, you know, I thought that um, Al Gore won and, I had voted for the first time ever and things like that. And I saw the system is not like, you know, what it's cracked up to be sort of thing. And like you mentioned for you, like, you know, what that moment was with what you're seeing right now with, uh, uh, demonstrations in the street, um, and these kinds of things, do you see, uh, do you see a way forward for there to be a closer collaboration to explain that there are alternatives um both like yeah sure in europe but like you know like definitely we want to focus on africa like in terms of like being alternatives for a diaspora to look at and say i can solve problems over there with my black dollar so um i i see it as it's it's a, a mind shift that um has to happen so i would encourage anybody that if you want to come to Africa, cool. If you want to go to Europe and the UK, cool, or, or Malaysia. But it is the global marketplace right now. So if you think in local, you think in like a caveman. Like the world is just not going to be there anymore. Like if you're thinking that you can get a job out of school and work in the neighborhood that you grew up in, there might be few of those, but that's just, that's not the world we live in anymore. So you have to cast your net wide. And so I I encourage people who are listening that it's not 
what, what has to happen is I think a more positive way of looking at it is it's not about what you're against. It shouldn't be, I'm leaving America because it's Donald Trump or America has always been like this. It's, I'm leaving America to pursue my opportunities and my dreams. That what, what am I for versus what am I against? And so I think when you're operating from that mindset, you're not allowing um, uh, white supremacy to be the lead driver of your narrative of why you're moving. You're operating from a standpoint of, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. And these are the spaces where I can do it. And so I think that that's, uh, that's key. Um, but to answer your, your, your uh, question uh, specifically, um, just could you, could you restate it again so that I, I make sure that I, I, I answer it? Sure. Um, a lot of what you just said actually gives um, you know, gives uh, credence uh, to what I was saying anyway. But I guess uh, to shorten that down is uh, what what can Africa provide and what can people potentially be ready for to offer solutions as well as Africa offer the environment uh, to be open to solutions. Mm hmm. So, okay, so what Africa, so the half of what I said, you know, the whole Kennedy, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, come saying this is what I can, I can do and provide for Africa. Now, what Africa can also provide you is peace, right? Ghana is 60 years of peace. It, and with peace, that allows economies to grow. Um, but the peace that I'm talking about is that you don't, it, it, it's like an African-American who's never left the United States has never spent one second of their life feeling what it feels like to not have to worry about a possible threat on their life when it comes to policing. The, the overwhelming majority of people who've never left have never been in a society where that's just not an issue. And if you go to the Netherlands or other places around the world, unarmed people don't get murdered. That's actually crazy. You know, but in our society, that is norm. So, in or when you're in a space where you can take, where you don't have to worry about thugs on the block, mass shootings, uh, police killing people, genetically modified food, um, what else? All of these day-to-day -day things that you're trying to maneuver and navigate, where you can take that off your plate and you can just live, what it does for the brain is you create more space to download new things and new thoughts that would never come to your mind because your mind is trying to process so many things just to be able to survive in America. You know, the experience and, and the confidence of like, I've been to 21 countries. This is the first country I've ever spent money where there are black people on the money.
First time in my life. Just those little nuances that you're able to experience when you're, you're, you're here. And so I think that it's very important that, um, that every person is able to nourish their spirit with that feeling that it's not natural to be in the state that we're in. Like you should want to run and, and bring your children to an environment where they can at least breathe that kind of air for one time in their life. Heavy. That's dope. I like that, man. Thank you. In terms of, um, I want to bring us uh, around to uh, we up again, and then uh, answer some questions that we have in the group. Um, we up uh i've heard i've heard it described about the application 30 days in terms of uh changing a behavior setting this goal to change a behavior what's 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 that magical number of 30 days about and then tell us about the incentivization system so um there's research all types of research um that talks about 21 days to build a habit um to, to, to reinforce a habit. But what, what, what we have is, is it's an app that pays people to stick to their goals and solve social problems via 30-day challenges. Um, and so you form a tribe of two to four people. You connect to a money transfer system. And anytime you miss what you say you're going to do for your life, money goes in the piggy bank like a swear jar. So let's say, uh, and everybody has the same goal. So let's say we all want to stop smoking. Anytime we have a cigarette, money goes in the piggy bank. In the beginning of the challenge, we agreed if that penalty price was $1 or $10,000 every time we have a cigarette. Whoever does the best at the end of the month gets the whole piggy bank directly deposited in their bank account. Us as a business, we take 5% of all piggy banks worldwide. And then from the big data, we're able to tell things like, um, let's say if, um, so let's say if 80,000 New Yorkers didn't have a cigarette um, with our, um, that day, with our big data, we would be able to see how uh, that impacts the healthcare system of the United States in real time. And that doesn't have to deal with just cigarettes. It's any goal, right? So any goal we could uh, get great, gain great insight on. So let's say if you wanted to paint and I wanted to play the guitar, we could advise every city in the world where to build a community center for the arts in what neighborhood on what specific street corner. And so um, for municipalities, it's a way of uh, being able to urban plan smart and use resources. But for individuals, it's able to help them see how their small choices have value so imagine if uh, it's a tool where you can get a million people to do the same thing at the same time for 30 days straight. So imagine whatever social issue you want to change, it's a way of organizing people and showing people that what they do matters. And uh, to touch on one of the questions uh, coming up, but I want to um, set that up first with, you had mentioned to me, in our previous conversation, you know, before before the podcast, uh, when I asked you, um, uh, do you think that there's enough uh, users, potential users in Africa, to make choices to decide? Well, 
am I going to set a goal and actually give money towards something if I don't complete that, if I have basic needs to support? And you had said something along the lines of, you've got to be there in the place before it gets busy kind of thing. You know, just like you're saying about the Wild West kind of example. Um, can you kind of break that down for everyone, um, you know, here? I'll, I'll say this uh, when it comes to this. Google, or Facebook right now is building a internet, um, internet. Um, a subsea cable. A, a, a cable, a sea cable mm -hmm. around the entire continent, right? That they're building this infrastructure. Now, if those customers were there, weren't there, would they make that investment? Right. Mm -hmm. right. So, um, so that, that answers um, that as far as the, the demand uh, that, that, that will be there. Okay. Um, and then um, when it comes to uh, getting people to achieve goals, what's, what's great about goal achievement is that it's universal, right? And most human beings have a problem doing what they say they'll do for themselves and doing what they say they, they want for themselves, right? And we have a social theory to the app is that we believe that if people are more accountable to themselves and the people they care about and achieve their goals, a lot of the problems in the world will start to disappear um, because you won't have... Uh, the scarcity, you won't have the distractions, people won't be consuming distractions as much, they'll be investing in their purposes. And so um, I think that, you know, right now, um, when it comes to uh, sentiment around the world of people wanting change, um, that's where it starts, is the change starts with the self. And then why, um, why Ghana specifically? Oh, we have another question about that. Sure. So um, I think that with Ghana, one of the things that um, makes it um, very unique is that it has uh, 63 years of peace. Uh, so they don't have a, a civil war history um, or anything like that. Um, and that... Um, it is a seaport country, so there's a point of, of entry, so goods and services flow through here. And so there's a, 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 a sort of a, a gateway to Africa. So if things, if you look at the history of the continent, Ghana is, is the first independent country. Now when Ghana fell, or, or and the colonial powers fell here, it created a domino effect. Now when it comes to innovation, you see the same thing things that are adopted in Ghana tend to get adopted in other places throughout the continent. You know, it's funny you say that because uh, Marvin, help me. Is it um, Sierra Leone is looking at year of return? Um, uh, Benin um, has, um, was planning something uh, called the door of return. And uh, also yep. Ni uh, Nigeria. Nigeria. Nigeria is planning something as well. Yeah. But do you see that, that that's a classic example of the, this market taking a step forward right. and then uh, other people follow? Yeah, it's wow. a strong, strong, uh, strong knock-on effect. Uh, we have another question. Uh, what should people have, have had accomplished prior to relocating to the continent? 
That's a wonderful question. I actually think that's a, a wonderful question of, of what are some of the prerequisites. Um, I think that um, it, I would advise everyone to read one of Kwame Nkrumah's books because he is the first liberator of Ghana and that if, if you learn his mindset and when he talks about self-determination, Kwame Nkrumah was educated in the US and what you will find is that Pan-Africanism starts in the Caribbean. It's not a native African concept. You know, Gar Garvey really pushes this and Garvey pushes this and it gets to America and then it blows up in America and America and then the African Americans amplify that uh, to the, the rest of the diaspora. And a, a lot of the, some of the African leaders were in America or in the US or the UK as a lot of this Pan-Africanist thought came in. And so why I say it's very important to read or get familiar with Nkrumah is because I think that he's operating out of the right African mindset that we need to have. So that come, come here with your mind right. Don't come here with baggage. Don't come here with, with like the things that hold you back. And so if you come here with baggage, you're only gonna make the, 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 the place you left, you're only gonna bring those problems with you and turn the environment and your world into those same, same problems because you're not gonna be able to run away from your, your shadow. So uh, that's the, the first thing that I would say um, is really get your mind right on um, who, what you wanna do, um, what you wanna explore, and you don't need everything. Like you don't need to know everything you wanna do. It could be a situation that you say, I just wanna explore, but come here with a right, right mind where um, if you a hater and you know you tend to hate, like don't, don't come here with that shit. You know what I mean? Like leave, leave some of that at home. You know what I mean? And whatever healing you got to do to get that out of your heart, you know what I mean? Like do, do, do some self-reflection, you know, whatever negative energy you have, come here with a positive open mind. Um, the other thing that, I would say from uh, uh, things that you need to get, get prepared for is um, get prepared for that everywhere you go, everybody ain't gonna like you. So don't expect that when you come here, everybody is gonna welcome you. A lot of people will welcome you, right? But don't focus on that one person that you know, said something really mean to you or treated you bad and then think that that's your whole experience. You know, don't be the rapper that like 10,000 people got their hands in the air and then you see somebody in the crowd that don't got their hands up and you stop the whole concert because of that one person. You know, don't, 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 don't do that, you know. And so um, the other thing that, um, I would say is 
build a network of at least five people, two to five people on the ground that, that you've uh, had video chats with, you've checked their references um, and things of that nature. Um, and then on the fun side, you know, uh, be prepared to, you know, you know, as African peoples, like we like to enjoy ourselves, you know, prepared to come and have fun. And I'm not talking about like the club, but like I'm saying like where you're, you're coming to like really enjoy yourself, let your hair down, you know, not project a false image in the club where, you know, you trying to, you know, show what you got like where you can really just tap into like, for example, I have a rooftop bar and I invited people over and we had a, uh, we were drinking and we had a hula hoop uh, session by a professional hula hooper. You know what I mean? And to see black men that tend to have a lot of stress in their life, be hula hooping and just laughing and having fun. You know, we don't get to see a lot of those faces that often. And so I'd say be prepared to be open to come and have those type of experiences, hand gliding, hiking, you know what I mean? All of these other things. Go get, get out of the city and, and adventure, you know? I really like that, man. Um, when, I was, when, I was, uh, when I was in Kenya, I had, a, um, you know, I had an experience like that, whereas it's like, yeah, let your hair down. I would say like five in the morning, uh, you know, me and my friend got up and we went out to meet the, you know, to meet the, uh, the uh, safari guy. And, you know, like, you know, there we go into like, into like the um, uh, Nairobi National Park, which is in the middle of the city in Kenya. And uh, just early morning and we're just enjoying ourselves, just like spotting animals and like, you know, making competitions and gamifying, you know, what we can spot, what's like, you know, what's the new animal kind of thing. And just, just having like, just innocent, like, like adolescent kind of laughter which we haven't been able to have in a long time because of the like you said the stresses of being a black man or a black woman of just like always looking over your shoulder and having to have this like tough exterior so i definitely felt that whereas it's just like just chill like you can relax like you can you can you can let your hair down you know as you're saying and uh and i appreciate that it's it's a, a similar experience in ghana i can't wait to go to ghana by the way yeah 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 come come through you know, uh, anybody that's on this call, you're welcome. You know, I got a rooftop bar. I got a drink waiting for you. <laughs> Definitely put your details in, you know, with all of the, um, how we can, oh yeah, that's my question. Speaking of that, yes, put your details in, uh, Instagram, et cetera. But how do you find that social media helps you uh, in Africa to connect with people? Because like in a lot of cases, like maybe, maybe, uh, maybe everyone doesn't have social media and still, still operates with like, I'm gonna go check on my neighbor, uh, you know, physically kind of thing. Um, do you think that there's a, there's a balance between that and that the two can coexist in Africa, which is so traditional? Um, I think uh, they can and they, they eventually will. You know, the, the smartphone penetration is just by 2030, every, like, the, it's like, if, imagine if you were in China in 1998, like China in 1998 is a very different China than China in 2020, mm. you know? And so I think that where Africa 2030 is gonna be, 
you know, I, I, I think that a lot of those, um, a lot of those, uh, you know, resources will be available to even your, your local people. And, they, and you even have people in the village that still have access to them right now. And so, um, yeah, you know, I would say um, yeah, um, it's, um, it's, a, uh, it's a very interesting time. And I think social media, what it does is it helps to demystify Africa so the lies that I articulated about how we're educated in certain ways, it can't really hold up because it's like for the Daryl that's ignorant as hell about Africa and he's like, you know, are you fighting lions and shit? It's like, no, like here's one of the tallest buildings in Ghana. You know what I mean? Like social media disrupts the ignorance and then you're able to flip it on the person who's being ignorant and being like, yo, like, yo, you need to, you know, upgrade your brain. You know, like, you're, you, you, you running a little slow, like, you behind. Mm. You know, and so that, I think social media has allowed us to shape our own narrative. <clears throat> and so that's what I definitely try to do when I uh, use any of social media is to help uh, break down the misunderstandings that, even uh, that we have about each other, you know, and the, the idea like over here, people think that, you know, a lot of people that are on the ground think that everybody's rich in Europe and in the US. Yeah. They think that they don't believe poverty or homelessness exists, mm. you know, and so th that's where you got to use the social media on the other one to show them San Francisco. Right. And to show them, like, how people are out there real bad. Right. You know, and right. this is, well, going back to the social issues, this is really the first time that the whole world can see the U.S. for what it has always been. This is the first time the world can see that the United States beats and kills their citizens. Now, mind you, if the world knew this, how could you invade Iraq and say Saddam is killing his own citizens? Right. Do you see how now that disrupts the credibility of the U.S.? Because the world didn't know the problem was as bad as it has always been. And right. social right. media has helped that. Right. Hey, Trey Lou uh, has a great question. Um, if someone comes over, you know, we talked about uh, the housekeeping issues and, and, and everything. I think you laid that out pretty well. How about people with, uh, um, you know, maybe a pre-existing condition? They, 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 of course, need to take uh, the yellow fever shot when they get to, uh, by the time they get over. But then they need maybe, you know, medical care. How is the medical facilities, the hospitalization? Is it, is it parallel to the West? So... I mean, here's the challenge, right? It's not like we getting good healthcare in the West either, in, in the US per se, right? So, so um, yes, because you're coming in at a different socioeconomic level, and if you have traveler's insurance, that can afford you certain hospitals here, right? So I just fractured my hand um, and dislocated my knuckle. Right? And I had to go to the hospital 
and I got mal uh, malaria in the same week, right? So it was just a long week. So I, I had to spend time in the hospitals. And is everything from uh, the way that things look aesthetically, you know, um, on par? No, not some hospitals. But do they have what you need to, you know, get in, get out, and, and get uh, recovered? Yes. Um, and then for the place that I went, um, you know, that the it's called Eurocare. It's the one the president goes to. Um, it's, you know, it's very nice, state-of-the-art, you know, um, professional. And so they, it exists. Um, but at the same time, like any system, right, like go to King Hospital in Los Angeles. You know what I mean? Like go to, you know, there are places I can take you in the U.S. where you'll care you know, they'll be like, yo, um, take a number and we're going we to holler at you. You know, yeah. so I think that every, you know, I won't, I, I'll say that there, there are spaces like that, that that could exist here. But yeah. I have had experiences where there are hospitals that I know to go to or doctors that I know to go to where that won't be the case. Okay. And I think with the, with, the, um, with the whole COVID thing, you know, to expand on that, um, the, uh, uh, President Nana of Ghana did, um, uh, did say that they're going to be creating at least like 10 to 20 new hospitals um, just on the back of that. Um, you know, so I didn't know if you heard about that, but I did, uh, I did hear him like say that during one, of his, during one of his speeches. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that, you know, there's... You know, there's uh, a lot of opportunity. Um, we, I, I need people on the call to understand that as a black person on this planet, there has never been a time like right now where you can connect with all your brethren around the world in different cultures and that there's a mind shift that is happening. And that we're living in this moment and this window won't always be here. You know what I mean? And so when you see, you know, them building 10 new hospitals or, you know, and if you're in the medical field, you should say to you, or you have a cousin in the medical field that's, you know, back home, you should say, well, you know, maybe I can bring an idea or a medical uh, tool like my friend Gabriel. He's, there's one bed in Africa for every thousand people, a hospital bed. So he just started making beds. And now the government is interested in purchasing his beds from him. So these are the things that I'm saying, like there has never been a time, like if the people in the 50s or the, the slave could see us, like they would be like, what you waiting for? Like I wish I had the option to even access what's happening right now. Oh, oh man. Well, yo, it's been, a, it's been a dope conversation, Voltaire. Really, really appreciate yeah. your time, brother, you know, to know more about We Up as well as uh, your direct experiences um, in Ghana, uh, you know, as well as globally, you know, in terms of your journey leading up to that. And, um, yeah, if you want to now just, like, let – let, let, like let the listeners know how they can find out more information about we up uh, as well as anything else that you just want to like you know drop a drop a um link about sure. what you're doing 
Sure. So um, if people want to know about WeUp, they can go. Um, uh, we're, um, I'm going to give you a site that is an older site. We're about to do some construction on it. Uh, it's weuptheworld.com. I'll type it in here. We up the world.com. Um, and so they can go there and see, um, and see um, uh, some of our events, what the app is about. Um, and then also, um, if you have any questions uh, and you want to speak to me, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or, or Instagram. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, um, like I said, if you, you, you guys are interested in coming through, you know what I mean? I like to drink tequila, you know, um, you know, and, and, and wine, you know, I, I don't really dabble in the beer as, as much, but, you know, I'll have some, some, some for people that like that kind of stuff. So come through. Definitely. Yeah. My visa is until January 16th, January 20th. So I had, I did a one year, so. Uh, we're going to definitely try to connect and everybody. Let's try to get over there. Emmy, Trey Lou, let's try to get to the, to Ghana in uh, December. Inshallah. Yeah, man. Cause uh, beyond the return. So it didn't just stop a year of return and, uh, uh, COVID is not going to stop our drive. Actually. Um, I don't know. You got to say this to y'all, but I can tell that since this whole thing has happened, Heath and I have been busier than ever with our global brothers podcast shows. Like this is like put a battery in our back. So um, really, I feel like we're re-energized within that. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to like, you know, we're going to see it through and like, you know, keep on growing this to 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 come back empowered. Obviously, we're already open minded, but to come back empowered and like, you know, have something to offer, you know, when we touch down. Yeah, I'm a big believer that negatives push positives forward, just like in mathematics, two negatives times each other equal a positive. I think that COVID and these protests actually amplified the mindset of yes. going beyond what most people know and saying I'm, I'm ready to, to see and experience something different. Mm -hmm. and, and as I said, even if it's, it's not Africa, just get out. It's a global marketplace. Like if you want to even be competitive for your family and future generations, if you play in the game local or national, you 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 playing slow. You hustling backwards. Okay, VX, amen. Um, I knew you were a special one, bruh. The night we met, and um, I wanted to share you with our with our our crew of people here. And um, I think we up is something that's going to change the world. That's just personally what I believe. So, um, thank you, brother. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity, you know, in any way that we can get, uh, get together and come together and amplify and, and, and make this vibration spread. Like I'm trying to tell you, our people are out there. They're ready to hear this song. You know what I mean? We yeah. just got to beat, beat our drum, blow our horn uh, loud. And what you brothers is doing is you, you amplifying that sound. So I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks again, everybody. As we always say at this time, live global and prosper. Peace. Peace, everybody. Check us out on YouTube, Global Brothers Podcast, and please subscribe and share and, you know, continue to support, you know, good yeah. content. Thanks, everybody. Mr. Worldwide.